Over the last seven years, I have tried every kind of marketing you can possibly imagine for my business. And I have determined over that time that direct mail has been by far the most profitable marketing channel I have ever tried. And I've spent over a million dollars just testing it out figuring out what works and figuring out what doesn't. And through that time, I've been able to generate over 100 deals per year in my business using direct mail. And now I've created a very small but very powerful mini course on how I utilize direct mail in my business. It explains everything I do from A to Z, and I've made this available to you absolutely free. That's right, no charge, no obligations, just go to my website, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail, mikesimmons.com forward slash winning direct mail to find out how you can implement my system in your business and start generating more leads through direct mail. Go check it out. It's absolutely free. I can't wait for you to try it. The state of New Jersey is actually underwater right now and for very good reasons because it's you know undesired. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. Hey guys, thank you for joining me on Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you being here. I appreciate your time. Guys, there's so many ways you could be spending your time right now. I get that. And you're here and that's so awesome. And uh, because you're here and you're awesome, I know that you will do me one small favor, just a super small favor. Go to wherever you're listening to this, if it's iTunes, if it's Spotify, whatever it is, and subscribe to the channel. Listening to it is awesome and I appreciate that so, so much. But when you subscribe, it tells iTunes, it tells Spotify, it tells all those platforms, hey, this is someone that people really like listening to. We should push him out to more people. We should make it easier to find. We should rank him higher in the charts. Whatever it is, it helps me quite a bit and it costs you nothing except literally seconds of your day. So if you could do that, that would be awesome. I have a really, really uh, powerful interview for you today. Sometimes I have people on that just blow my mind and make my brain swell up and make it hurt a little bit with the information they provide. And this is one of those podcasts where my my uh, guest is, is so smart and well-versed in what he does uh, that he just loaded my brain up and I was on overload. But it's good stuff. It's all about uh, the data and the analytics behind investing, looking at trends, looking at recessions and what that does, what it means. And one of the big nuggets that came out of this was uh, understanding some of the current overvalued markets and currently undervalued markets. And the undervalued markets uh, are probably some things we should be looking at. So lots of good nuggets in here, just super, super good. I will say as a disclaimer, I'm gonna apologize up front. I'm usually super hyper vigilant about the quality of the audio. There was uh, a little bit of, of audio issues uh, on Stefan's side. Uh, it it kind of like got a little uh, garbled here and there. I think it was a, a internet issue. Uh, but I think it was not bad enough that I would need to do it over again or scrap it. I think it's it's manageable. But just be aware, I'm aware that there are some parts where it gets a little weird with the audio. So uh, hopefully you guys can can uh, kind of wince through that a little bit because I think it's worth it. I think it's a lot of great information in this episode. So I give you guys, without any further ado, my guest today, Stefan Svetkov. All right, Stefan, thank you for being on Just Start Real Estate, man. I appreciate your time. 
Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a lot of good stuff to talk about. Uh, we have a market that's changing, uh, and you happen to be a data guy. And so right now, people are wondering what's happening, what can we expect to have happen, um, and there's a lot of ways that we can go with this conversation. So I'm excited to talk to you. But if you could quickly, I know this is kind of the, uh, the podcast standard move here, but I do like having people kind of understand your background, why they should listen. Let's set that table so they know why you're someone to be listened to in this area of, of real estate. So what, what does your background look like? How'd you get into this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so myself, uh, so first of all, like by my accent, you may guess I'm Eastern European originally. So I came to the States at 22. Um, I did a financial engineering master's uh, in New York City. I worked in finance for about a decade. And in the recent um, couple of years, I've been a real estate investor in the New York City area and also like commercial, like looking for a commercial multifamily in the Midwest. So, so that's kind of more recent. And I'm also founder of a prop tech analytics, data analytics company in the real estate industry called Realty Quant, where I do like different uh, property analytics, um, market analytics. So one of the things uh, to touch on today is in market valuations or like to the question, to your, to your question of, let's say, of the economy, you know, in assuming the economy enters a recession, I've done like various studies on prior recessions for every single region in the country. And uh, Rio Tiquant, uh, my company, we publish market valuation metrics for every county in the country. So for about like 2,700 US counties, wow. it, can, it tells you, are they over, under, fairly valued in a statistically valid way, like based on like relative to what happened during global financial crisis, what happened during the 1990 recession, um, and, and so forth. Wow. That's amazing. That's awesome. I mean, that alone is a great tool. And that's realtyquant.com. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. that's R-E-A-L-T-Y-Q-U-A-N-T.com. We'll mention it again at the end. There'll be um, a link in the show notes. So don't stress out if you're driving or you're running on a treadmill, you don't have to stop. We'll have it. I just want to make sure you guys understood what we were saying, realtyquant.com. Um, awesome. So. Let's talk, let's dive into it a little bit. I, I think the big, you know, proverbial pink elephant in the room is we're going into recession. We were previously previously or maybe still in a lot of areas in a seller's market, but it appears to be shifting. And there's some things happening with interest rates, there's some things happening with valuations, there's something happening in the economy itself. What is your outlook for What's to come? What do you, th what do you, and I, again, I always say this, but hopefully it goes without saying you're not, you don't have a crystal ball and uh, you can't predict the future a hundred percent. Nobody can, but what do you think's happening with, with the data that you've seen? What do you see happening and what do you anticipate us seeing in the next, you know, 18 to 24 months? Right. So that's a great question. Um, so I think that kind of more distinctive thing that I have um, in the real estate industry the quant is actually, it's not the timing, guessing the timing of, okay, are we in a recession now? Are we not? It is, um, you know, continues to be an ongoing discussion on that, right? And, yeah. and question. And, um, I mean, the short answer is not yet because uh, inflation is high and typically inflation kind of goes heavily down in a, in a recession as, as well as even interest rates. Okay. And so that's like one thing. We're not in a recession yet, but it's sort of a leading leading to that and then you know as uh, many of your audience i'm sure they follow like the different mm, nber like national bureau of economic research um, metrics that feed uh, um, whether we're in a recession or not and 
Um, and so, you know, a lot of those they haven't actually resolved yet. And it's not a new change in definition that they made. It, it's been like that for, for some time. Um, and I've been tracking it myself. Uh, but it's really, but it's really subjective indeed. And there's like, there's employment, there's personal consumption expenditures and, and other factors that go into that. Yeah. So, so it's really like other than these general, like economist perspectives. I'm a finance guy. So myself, what I'm interested in is a markets person, as an investor. I want to know if I'm investing in a market. And if we hit a recession at some point, am I going to carry downside risk? So those are the studies that I do at Realty Quant. So we have appreciation predictors. So kind of like the usual, if you have like uh, income growth, population growth, and so forth, you know, what kind of appreciation do we expect in different markets? Yep. But what I think is extremely important that many investors are are overworking, except institutional ones, is uh, they're overworking. They don't look at market valuations. Because if we take, um, for instance, Mark Zandi, I'm not sure, perhaps some of your audience may have heard this chief economist at, at Moody's. So Moody's, they do publish um, real estate valuations data, and it's used by institutional investors. But typical like syndicators, investment managers, uh, or private investors, predominantly they they don't do it and and so and, and there isn't and it's also not available at a very granular level we don't have it for every single region in the country and so forth and so that's what i do so i kind of wanted to like i started that at the beginning of COVID. i wanted to have a sense of if we hit a recession assuming we're at the peak of cycle what downside risk do i carry if i invest in miami florida what downside risk do i carry if i invest in new york what downside risk do I carry if I invest in like a very suburban county, yeah. Um, yeah. Texas? And so that was kind of like, that was the focus there. Um, and so understanding valuation is very key. It's not just kind of having a doomsday perspective if you are, have like a negative exposure in the event of going recession. It's more like what's going to be a relative performance. Because yeah. if you invest in, a, in an overvalued market, those typically underperform following a recession in, into the next cycle, even if they don't decline very much. And so that's kind of, that's the consideration there. So it's a statistical study. So it did it first for global financial crisis. Um, it showed a very high predictive power. So it had like about like 85% um, predictive power of subsequent actual declines okay. at the state level. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, at the county level, it gets to like in the 70s, the percent. So it's harder to predict counties. Sure. Uh, very high, like very high predictive power of actual future events. So it's not like, mm, you know, like variables mo moving in parallel. It's actually forecasting the future in a sense, in, okay. in magnitude. And, and there are reasons for that. It's uh, real estate is very fundamental. It's driven by income, population, housing supply. Deviations from that for any reasons typically are measurable. And so, and so, yes, yeah, so that's like, that's, that's one thing that they do in terms of um, you know, kind of analysis in real estate. Okay. So let me ask you this. I'm sure that you look at this data regularly, maybe every day. I don't yes. know. Um, at it's a high so level, cool. go ahead. I'm sorry. So mm. What'd you say? I, I missed your last thing, Stefan. What'd you say last? I'm sorry. Um, it's uh, quarterly. 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 Okay. So you report on it quarterly, but I'm I'm certain you look at it more than once a quarter. You per personally, yeah, like yeah, you look correct. at it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Are, and I think, you, if correct me if I'm wrong about this, but you're a multifamily investor yourself. 
Is that right? Yes. So I, I do condo conversions in the New York City area. Okay. And more recently, I've been switching to commercial and entirely okay. in the Midwest. <laughs> D- does your data, um, is it relevant to single family uh, investors? It's a great question. Yeah. The, the, it's really mm, the general housing market. So this kind of market data, it's really single family and small multifamily Okay. Real estate is based on like FHFA home prices and so forth. It's less re- relevant to commercial investors. Okay. But myself, we use it, you know, in a sense to to have a general intuition for that as well. Because it, it's different studies on the commercial side. You want yeah. to be forecasting cap rates and kind of do that. And that we can get into that discussion as to some ways to forecast cap rates. And Peter Lineman, who is a Wharton professor, has done very good work on that. Okay. Um, but... Yeah, but they do use those residential market valuations. It's a general, you know, general sense of the housing market. And, and yeah, valuation is different. Obviously, I mean, meaning property valuation is different on the commercial side, yeah. but it's still, you know, fundamentally the same asset. And so, and so that's kind of, that's actually I still look at those residential metrics when, um, searching for commercial markets. Okay. You mentioned overvalued markets and my yes. intuition and, Please jump in here if I'm wrong. I don't want to make the wrong statement here. My intuition is the overvalued uh, markets probably reside a lot on the coasts, maybe. Uh, The Californias, the New Yorks. Is it fair to say that the Midwest tends to historically have some of the better um, values? Not values, but like... Uh, cost to, to to you know as far as like the market value being overvalued or whatever, does the Midwest tend to be the bad, better investment markets or is that a completely a myth? Well, um, it's I'm glad you mentioned intuition there because yeah, I would say often intuition aligns with the data, but you know, not always. And so the Midwest, I would say most of the time, if you look at the prior previous market cycle, current market cycle has been this kind of more stable, not the most booming, you know, region, right? Yep. Like the, the South yep. and the, the West in mm-hmm. the current cycle, for example. But, um, you know, but kind of more stable and has carried relatively more downsiders. But there there aren't really such, um, you know, definitions or like stats that can be assigned. Because if we take a look at like before global financial crisis, the state of New Jersey was overvalued. The state of New Jersey is actually undervalued right now and for very good reasons because it's, you know, undesired and, and undervalued is a very tricky thing because it's actually a measure of, it's a measure, it's an excellent measure of downside risk and it's not a very good measure of upside. Okay. So very overvalued markets, they typically, if we stay under the same market cycle, they continue to appreciate because the reason is like real estate has a lot of momentum. And, and that gets tested also in data studies. We, we are like autocorrelation kind of tests and things like that kind of to see yeah. there's a lot of trend and momentum in the market. Yeah. And so, right. And so typically for there are exceptions, like Alaska has like something like negative momentum. It's, it's kind of weird, but you know, but for the majority of, <laughs> right. But for the majority of places like Florida, you know, markets in Florida, markets even in Massachusetts or, you know, Texas and so forth, there is fairly high autocorrelation. So, so yeah, so it's actually intuition, would say the current time relatively aligned since we are relatively far out in the market cycle, even if it doesn't just end this year, I don't know if it will or not, but we are relatively far out. 
And generally, the very well-performing markets at this point have gotten to be somewhat overvalued, but but only since 2021, because before that, the majority of the market, and that was actually the consensus of Bloomberg Economics uh, and uh, Moody's, and I think Cor- um, Cor- I believe CoreLogic have a study uh, have a study on that as well. Yeah. You know, where like US rest was actually fairly valued even through the first quarter of 2021. It's quite interesting because like many investors they would say, okay, it's so expensive, it's so expensive and so forth. It wasn't statistically the case when you look at the historical historical fundamentals, but in 2021, things changed and it started and that was like all the narrative of investors that investors had about inflation, where okay, inflation is good for real estate, it drives your asset values higher. And so forth. Well, it does, but if fundamentals don't catch with that, it also it's also driving them overvalued. And so that was measurable at the time, and it, it was seeing it where okay, in 2020, for instance, the only really strongly overvalued state was the state of Idaho. I don't know if some of your audience they may know Idaho has actually been surprisingly like the very top price performer and price appreciation this market cycle really? on the state level. Huh. Mm, yeah, yeah. So like above Arizona, Nevada, and, uh, you know, Texas and Florida, let's say. And um, it, it's not that surprising. Like the general intuition there is just all this um, outflux from California into other Western states. Yeah. And this happens to be a yeah. relatively small Western state. So in their, their, their appreciation, percentage appreciation has been very high. It's just, it's really spilled out into, it's really all Western states that have performed outstanding Um and uh but but Idaho happens happens to be number one. And so Idaho was nevertheless overvalued already um even at the beginning of COVID 2020. And Boise was the most overvalued city. And Boise is most overvalued. And I think Florida Atlantic University have a study and Moody's and my own data, pretty much everybody, whoever whichever methodology you use, it's gonna come out as Boise. It's very easy. <laughs> it's really easy to detect Boise is extremely overvalued, an extremely overvalued market. And they've spoken to that on that extensively but um right so so at that time idaho was the only one 25 percent overvalued um in 2020 and the number of states started increasing quarter after quarter so by the third quarter of 2021 there were six states that were more than 20 percent overvalued and by the first quarter of 2022 there are 10 states that are more than 20 percent overvalued so it's been changing very quickly it's not so surprising it was a similar, and I don't want to make parallels to GFC where it's not similar now, and it's way better at yeah. the current time. And I don't, I don't think, I don't expect any significant. I'm not, I'm relatively bullish myself, uh, personally, but it's just something to be aware of because there's like all those other regions that are not overvalued, and one can just rebounce their portfolio to them. Yeah, you know, like such as discussion of the Midwest and so forth. It's not like about, um, you know, some kind of doomsday perspective and also if something is overvalued one i expect it to continue doing well until the market cycle ends okay. officially uh, because that's what always happened and two and even to do like extremely well perhaps and then at some point okay then it stops and but two uh it's really um Besides that, it's really also being overall doesn't mean price declines or corrections are going to happen. We can have the, the overvaluation resolve in a different way. And it's actually important to know that like if something is overvalued, I've had like friends ask me, what if it stays overvalued, you know, like kind of like for long? And, yeah. and, and they've looked at that 
and it's like oh, like three recessions, like the three last recessions, excluding COVID, which was sort of another real recession, right? In a way, in a kind of very short one. Yeah. And so the, the three last recessions, whenever something was overvalued, there, there hasn't been a single. They, they it always resolves. Like the overvaluation always resolves. Can take five years. Can take ten years. Sooner or later, if something is plus fifty percent, let's say, it's gonna get to zero. It always did. The question is, how, how is it going to get there? Now, is it going to be true price correction of 50% or is it going to be true a price correction of only 10% perhaps? Right. But even, but that is, in my opinion, the, somewhat of a secondary question because even if it is just 10% price correction, what actually happens is that your market ends up underperforming. And so that's kind of has been like some of my advice to, uh, people, for instance, investing in even in Idaho right now, where okay, that has been the top performing market. It's very hard to shift your thinking away from that, yeah, because you're seeing all those strong fundamentals, and those strong fu- fundamentals they are accurate, but the pricing is defined relative to them. So the pricing is defined relative to those that housing supply and population and income growth that. You know, Boise, let's say, who has the experience. Yeah. So the pricing is excessive, way too much. The general expectation is to underperform. A case study of that was Hawaii in after there was a recession in 1991. So at the time, like almost no state declined in value after the recession. And like if you look at like the general, let's say, KSHU or whatever, like general US price index, the prices stayed the same. There was no decline. The reason for that is, the majority of U.S. states were undervalued even at the time. But there were some exceptions. There were about nine states that were actually overvalued. And they all declined in value. And so those were California at the time was one example. And Hawaii was a pronounced example where they were overvalued 48%. And because there was no real crash in real estate to happen, so that overvalued market declined only 14%. Hmm. And sort of a strong recovery in the economy and, and so forth. But... This is again a secondary thing because it's the question is what's your relative performance or appreciation you're going to get there compared to other places. And well, that was the very top price performer, the previous market cycle. But at that point, if you invested in 1990, in eight years later, your prices are 14% less. So prices in 1998 were 14% less. So it took a really, really long time. I, well, we don't have any price correction at the time. There is no mortgage-backed securities, you know, like excessive or excessive lending and things like that, like GFC. There is no no real um, no trigger in the economy, you know, besides just a recession at, uh, at that time. Yeah. And so there's no real trigger in the real estate market, so to say. And so, and so but, th- but that market is extremely overvalued. And so it has to resolve one way or another. Yeah. So if the price is not going to correct much, well, it's going to take a really long time. And so and so that's kind of like the consideration there. And so that's something that I've been pointing to. Um, you know, I would say like, again, Idaho is the only like really very overvalued. I think Idaho is around 50% overvalued right now. Wow. And so it's very similar to Hawaii at the time. And it's not like I expect a big dec- decline in prices. That's hard to pre- forecast, but perhaps no, perhaps I would be inclined to to not expect that, but again, it's the question is what's going to be the performance of 
of the markets over there over the next cycle. And so I wouldn't be very bullish on that because similarly, like let's say after 99 recession, all those other states that were actually undervalued in the same eight years, they appreciated 50, 60%, you know, and so it makes a difference. So there is a question of like picking markets and, um, you know, selecting them, being aware, like if you're paying a premium relative to the statistical fundamentals in that market, sort of the yeah. same concept yeah. of pick, speaking properties, are you going to get a good deal or, or not? And now if you're paying a premium, it, it's a little bit, you know, not so rigorous over the long run. And, yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, so those are like some considerations, okay. but really like as many of your audience, just to mention like some markets, perhaps like as many of your audience know, um, like the, the very well-performing states, let's say, and I mean, cities can speak to as well, but let's say states right now, they're all to the West and to the South, right? So there is nothing like the Northeast is the biggest underperformer. And then the Midwest, perhaps after that, and, uh, you know, the West is the top performer, the South is maybe after the West, okay. you know, high level speed. I got a bunch of <clears throat> questions. You, you've said a ton and I'm writing down questions as we go. Some these, okay. these may be basic and, and they're just, they occur to me as we're talking here. You didn't mention this, and I, and this isn't uh, the focus of this show is not politics. However, I I need to know from your perspective, or I want to know from your perspective, do the politics of a state have any effect on that you can see on valuations, overvalued, undervalued? And the reason I thought of this is you mentioned people, or you alluded to people like kind of maybe leaving California and going to other and western states, and mm -hmm. Idaho is one of them, right? So it's overvalued. There's the, you we can debate. Till the cows come home, uh, to use a Midwest term, about why people are leaving California. But for the sake of data, do you see any uh, statistical evidence that the politics of a state have any effect on whether or not if it's overvalued, undervalued, that kind of thing historically? Or even not even historically, like even maybe right now, see some sort of a trend? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I think they, it's, I haven't specifically studied it from that perspective, but I think they do have an effect on like popularity, demographic um, changes, right? So on uh, domestic migration, right? So the domestic migration component of population change, you know, where, okay, there is um, also foreign migration, there is also uh, like natural increase and so forth. But, but yeah, I mean, so that's, I think, being relatively well reported this market cycle where, okay, there's like a wall of population shifts towards, and there, you're making a good point. I don't know if it's so statistically valid since it could be for like various other reasons, even climate and, and yeah. so forth. But yeah. generally there has been a shift towards, you know, more rep Republican states or let's say more quote, um, you know, relatively landward friendly states. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so that, that's, that's by just looking at the domestic migration charts that appears to be valid even kind of with, um, you know, even without doing a data study, just um, looking at the charts themselves. But uh, so that's definitely there. Now, in terms of valuation, valuation is a different topic. It's, um, I would say, no, I don't think there is a strong relationship yeah. to in terms of political, um, the policies that's in the state and whether it's going to go overvalued. The, whether it's overvalued is a function of how far out in the market cycle. Yeah. And if it's a well-performing market, and that's like where some of the intuition, I feel like often investors, in my opinion, don't get that actually it's not about the market being strong, that it's going to, that, that market is going to be protected in a recession. 
that's never been the case. It's gotcha. not the strongest market, you know, like even during GFC, like in California and, um, you know, in Arizona and Florida, well, relatively like, very desired markets, they were the ones that declined. And the very undesired ones in, you know, let's say relatively poor states like West Virginia and Mississippi, they see no decline whatsoever yeah. in real estate prices. So, I mean, there is a little bit of this perspective when it comes to property classes, like between A, B, C, and so forth. Of, mm-hmm. Are some property classes more resilient to recession? And I see heard the argument kind of go in both directions, depending on uh, depending on the market gotcha. and so forth. But the the general on a purely broad market risk, if uh, from that perspective, it's generally very strong markets that are actually riskier after recession because they just tend to get overheated. Yeah, and so there is extremely low risk in a, the very undesired um, markets in New Jersey right now because they're undervalued. The, the odds of them dropping in a recession on valuation, on their valuation are, is, are extremely low. They could drop on their fundamentals because they are that weak. The let's say population reduces further, which it, it's been reducing. So they and then with some income drop in a recession, and they could a little bit drop on that yeah. just because okay, now population is gone and income is gone. They can get like some, not huge, but like some decline from that. Yeah. And so, um, but yeah, yeah. So that's. I don't think there is a connection. There's no obvious way to um, forecast what's going to go overvalued or not. You just need to kind of look at the data. There can be surprising cases when something performed extremely well and it's still fairly valued. At the beginning of COVID, there was still even Utah was like a very well performing state. Yeah. And it was still fairly valued. Um, so, it, so it depends. Even like I believe the county that contains Denver, Colorado was like, among the top performing counties country and at the, at the time was still fairly valuable. So it doesn't perfectly align with intuition. One needs to measure it and one needs to track it as you know frequently as possible. Yeah. You know, generally quarterly is the most frequent possible based on the one can do it monthly to some extent, but income data and so forth is not available uh, monthly. So so generally quarterly uh to keep tracking how it evolves into the future and and that's really the way to go. It's not about if I now made a claim how overvalued markets are, you know, next quarter it can be different to yeah. an extent. Do, can you tell me, do, do markets that are, gen- I assume there are some markets that are routinely overvalued. I'll just use California as an example. I think it's a lot of times. No, like my, see, sorry to interrupt. Like no, you're fine. If I'm wrong, I want you to jump in because that, that's my perception. Yes. So that's because, like, let's say, California and New York, like I think Cincinnati are a great example because those are very expensive markets, yeah. right? In absolute terms. And so people say, okay, California is very expensive in absolute terms. I mean, I'm going to go to Nevada. I'm going to go to all those, you know, in absolute terms, less expensive yeah. places or, you know, in Phoenix, even Phoenix or, you know, and so forth. And, um, and so, but what actually happens is, uh, California right now is fairly valued. It's not overvalued. New okay. York, it's fairly valued. And so they're very mm-hmm. absolutely expensive, but in a relative sense, they're not overvalued. Okay. Because okay. all investors, they have this narrative that California is, <laughs> you know how markets, they move in a very, in very clever ways, right? So they, they expected that, okay, California is very expensive. They went to those other places. Those other places are still not so absolutely, um, absolutely 
not affordable, let's say it's California, but they're more expensive from a valuation standpoint. Gotcha. So, so, so that being said, yeah. then that being said, if California is yeah. fairly valued, there's no reason yeah. to think there will be a significant decline in value. That's correct. Yeah. Okay. That's correct. Or especially or New York, and um, there's no reason to expect a significant decline in value in in those places whatsoever. It's similar for the Midwest. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, fairly valued markets they could decline. Uh, yeah. We've had it yeah. during GFC. They um, generally, the decline for fairly valid markets, I think, was around 10%, like 10, 12%, because it was a very big correction. And that's sure. even big. That's okay. even big. Okay. And, um, and so they had like this kind of decline, even though they're fairly valid, but because okay. like a very big shock in some yeah. way, apparently, at the time. So, but even that's an exception. Yeah. Typically, yeah. that doesn't happen. Um, so yeah, let, me, let me ask you this. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I'm, I'm going to lose this if I don't ask you this. So, and I want to, because we're kind of getting getting near the end here, and I want to make sure that uh, we can just get some quick wins for people real quick. And if if this is not a fair question or if it needs to be reframed, feel free. Um But what are some states, let's just do one, two sides of the coin here. What are some, you can say regions if you want to be general or or specific states that people that people should know are, are very overvalued. You mentioned Idaho, but it's very overvalued. And maybe some states that people should be looking at that are very undervalued right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. And and yeah, and actually the undervalued ones uh, to mention, they they tend to decline very little indeed. And like less than, so like, because you mentioned fairly could drop even 10, 12% sometimes. Yep. But undervalued states during the global financial crisis, the average decline was only 4%. Hmm. So if you had, and if you had even something like North Dakota, had actually a 0% drop during both. North Dakota? Okay. Yeah, 0%. Because it was very undervalued at the time. Yep. And there is yep. even like, by the way, interestingly, Texas was undervalued before global financial crisis. And Texas price decline was at the state level was 4%. Hmm. And that's completely normal and, and regular to be like that. If you have something that's undervalued, it just the odds of it dropping much. It, it just makes no sense yep. to happen. Yep. Not going to drop on valuation. And even like I know, like I know of some um, syndicators uh, who actually started did their first deal in, in Texas at the time. And they were, um, well, and they had like very high return on their on their projects. And, and their projects, they, even though they bought at the peak of the global financial crisis. And that's kind of like the important aspect that if you follow valuation, you can actually invest at any time in a very educated way where you're not going to carry this kind of market downside risk. Yeah. And so at that time, they invested in Texas, like those syndicators, and they had, did the prices decline? No, nothing happened. And so, and then they, you know, execute their own forced appreciation on their project and, and so forth. And so what are some, um, but, but that said, before I get to the undervalued markets, but that said, undervalued markets often on the flip side, they have, may have weak fundamentals. And that's why they ended up like that, kind of in a way that they are not like, very desired. And so, um, and so on the other side, they may be kind of underperforming in appreciation terms, even though they're very protected on the downside. And so that's the tricky balance where one wants to go after something that's kind of fairly valued, that has relatively strong fundamentals on the upside, which is nevertheless not overvalued at the time, but yeah. and assuming we hit a recession. And if we didn't hit a recession, then all that stuff does not matter all that much. Because uh, then it's all momentum driven. And so, what are like some overvalued uh, regions, like at least in my study? Well, I mentioned Idaho. So, Idaho, it's the first quarter of this year, 
and the first quarter was above 50%. And so the other ones are really all those like smaller Western states can say um, relatively, well, relatively um, smaller than California, meaning, let's say. So So Arizona, Utah, Nevada are the next ones. Okay. So they are like above, like around uh, above 30% valuation at the state level. And then, I mean, then come like Florida and Texas from the Southern states. Okay. And the top 10, the top 10 are really all Western states and Southern states. Okay. There's Tennessee okay. as well. Uh, it's in the list. And so it's, uh, it's all Western and Southern states. Those are the overall ones. I don't, again, they're also the very best markets, yeah. this market cycle. So it's not like a black and white thing to yeah. say, oh, they're good. They are actually amazing. They've been amazing, but they are a little bit overvalued and they carry more downside risk. And so, yeah, in terms of undervalued, well, those have been some very poorly performing states. So like Illinois and North Dakota, Louisiana, Connecticut, New York as well. And so those are, uh, well, under to like, just like right around 0%, okay. basically. But where is it actually good to invest? It's a good question. I mean, I would, one would have to go to the actual cities level, but it's really places like, let's say, Louisville, Kentucky, you know, like markets like that, from my perspective at the current time. And again, that's just from the perspective of carrying less downside rates. So something that's relatively fairly valued, like markets in Indiana, Kentucky, the Midwest, if one is able to cope with the policies in Northeast, which I mean, I, are extremely not desirable indeed. So one can do that as well, and that would be protected on the downside yeah. to some extent. But those are um, you know markets like that. At the moment, there are no southern, like trendy southern or trendy western markets that I see as having an attractive valuation. There were such in 2020, many of them, but at the current time already with inflation accelerating and so forth, it seems there are none of them. So my view is has been like for syndicators who invest in Western markets, my view is to start rebalancing their portfolio or, or private investors start rebalancing their portfolio towards the Midwest or can be some Southern states, but that are less, you know, places like Alabama, you know, like that are less or Arkansas and, you know, Louisiana, like places like that, that are less trendy, this market cycle. And, right. and yeah, and less overworked. So. Got it. So here's my thought. It, we are, I mean, I you, I think you agree, maybe you may don't, I'll put words in your mouth, that we're going to see a market shift. I, I think it's almost like statistically inevitable, right? I mean, there's never been a market that went somewhere and never moved again, right? So it's going to move. Um, when the markets are moving, this kind of data is of like the utmost value. Like you need to understand what's happened in the past, because a lot of times the past uh, can show you trends and things that will happen going forward. Um, so guys, you need to go to uh, realtyquant.com uh, and look at this data, especially, well, not especially, including everybody, syndicators, multifamily, single family, people who are national. If you're, if you're an investor or a private money person, you're lending money, like you need to know what's happening and sort of look ahead. Um, you can't just look a, you know, a year behind you to know what's going to happen a year ahead of you. So I think having this sort of comprehensive data set that you provide is, um, it's always important. But to me, in my personal opinion, 
it's most important when things are moving and things are happening and there's a lot of unease and and people who are just not sure what's going to go down. And so guys, go and check out Realty Quant. Uh, Stefan, it's been awesome to have you on. Just a wealth of knowledge. Like I'm just listening to you, and my my brain is just swelling up with information. And it's it can be overwhelming, but that's why you need to go and check out the site. Uh, also, you guys should know uh, that Stefan has a live webinar series that's called Finance Meets Real Estate. How can they find that if they want to go and check that out? Yeah, it's on YouTube. Uh, Finance Meets Real Estate on YouTube. Uh, it's also on Meetup. There's a Facebook group as well. But YouTube is the best way. Yeah, go to YouTube, Finance Meets Real Estate, and also check out realdequant.com. We're going to have all those links in the show notes so you can go there and check it out. Stefan, anything you want to leave us with? Any parting words? I appreciate you being here, man. It's been fun. No, that's great. Thanks, Mike, for having me. So like you mentioned, the best way to reach to me is my website, realdequant.com. Okay. Fantastic. Stefan, thanks for your time, man. I appreciate the information and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Mind blown. Stefan is a super smart guy. Obviously, he knows what he's talking about and he is absolutely uh, analytics and data guy uh, because you can just tell by listening to him talk. He gets super psyched about the analytics and diving into that, that data, looking at past trends, recessions and that kind of thing. Um, I think one of the big takeaways here uh, for me was that just because something is high priced or like a California market, right? I just assumed it's overvalued, but there's a difference difference between relative price and whether or not it's over or undervalued. And so just hearing like Idaho, I was surprised Idaho was overvalued. I'm, I'm very shocked by that. I didn't realize uh, that that was the case, but understanding that these things change with the market. And honestly, you don't have to know what's overvalued and undervalued. Personally, you can go to websites like RealtyQuant and check that out for yourself. And I, I suggest you do. I'm not someone who necessarily always enjoys pouring over data, but I do know enough to know that I need to go to people who look at the trends and who follow the data and are following all of the analytics and to understand where I should be investing, where I should be moving my interest and where I should be telling you guys that you should be looking. So I think this was an important episode uh, and I had a lot of fun talking to Stefan. So hopefully you guys got a lot out of that. Go check out his website if you want to know what the trends are doing and, and what you should be doing in your business. All right, guys, we'll see you next time.